of Atlantis. Your foul species is hereby banned from the seas and oceans of the world. Any who enter the waters will face my wrath. Imperious Rex! Hello and welcome to a new episode of Third Degree Burn. I am Tim Elliott and my fellow Aquanaut here is Kurt Greenfield. Hi. And we are continuing our coverage of Namor the Submariner. And we are doing issues four and five today. And Kirk has uh, uh, written up, I'm sure, two lovely synopsis of these issues. Uh, I think before Kirk, we just we do we would do a we would do a synopsis and we would cover that issue, then we do the next synopsis. You want to just continue that? We're doing that in in dyads. Yes, that's right. right. Okay, okay. Uh, so I'm ready. I mean, if you want to get into issue number four. Okay. Well, this is uh, somewhat um, John Byrne's re-envisioning or reinventing, if you will, um, Namor as a 90s businessman, a 1990s businessman. And amongst the various themes that will weave through this uh, two-year stint that he spends on this new book, there will be various ecological themes. And this is one of them uh, as it's coming up. So this is issue number four. Uh, cover date is July of, I think it's 1990. Correct me if I'm wrong, and feel free to jump in here. Is, I was, yes, it's, well, I've got a cover date of July 1990. Correct. Okay. Uh, it's titled Blackwater. Uh, cover price was a dollar. Written, of course, by John Byrne. Lettered by Ken Lopez. Colored by Glenn, Glennis Oliver. Edited by Terry Cavanaugh. Tom DeFalco, Editor-in-Chief. We start with a submersible. No, not that one. It's lingering on the bottom of the river, the Hudson River, or an unnamed um, harbor, with two people coordinating inside, rising when a huge tanker passes by overhead. They attach a mysterious device to the outside, the underside of the hull, and then they drift away, undetected. Cut to New York City, where Nina, Namorita, is discussing Carrie's imminent departure from the Oracle Towers. She's leaving Namor because her life and Caleb would always be at risk. She hopes that they can still remain friends. Nina immediately flies to her cousin's townhouse apartment where Namor is taking a bath in the pool, monitoring the news of his fight with the Griffin and attack on Roxxon executives last issue. He drops below the surface of the water, but Nina pursues him, speaking underwater. This is an interesting side note we should uh, discuss more on the side. He believes his cover is still intact, but is unaware that he's being surveilled by a drone outside his window, operated by Desmond Mars. Desmond compliments his sister Phoebe, who is dressed to the nines. He intends on using her as bait for Namor. When she questions him... He slaps her and reveals his contempt for her, using her only as a pawn. She retreats to her office where she sulks until underling Margaret enters with a report. Phoebe explodes at her minion, displacing her anger on her underling and fires her. And then she sits and smirks as we see the cycle of abuse continue. 
Namor is getting a makeover by Nina, who fashions a false beard, shaggy hair, and large rimmed glasses to hide his Atlantean features. He looks very much like Roger Stern, John Byrne's good friend and sometime mm-hmm. co-plotter. As they prepare to depart for the Oracle reception, she reveals her party dress, and they fly through the twilight gloom together. Arriving on the rooftop reception unseen, they don shoes and complete their disguises. Among the party attendees are Reed Richards, Sue Richards, Tony Stark, Desmond Mars, and Phoebe Mars, although not everybody mixes with everyone else. They all travel in their own circles. Phoebe continues to prowl for Namor as Zero Hour finally arrives and a large super tanker is unveiled as it sounds its horn in the harbor, or is it the Hudson River? I'm not sure. Desmond continues to monitor and check his watch. Everything, everyone is watching over the railing as Namor notices Sue and Reed and feels a tug at his heartstrings. Suddenly, the device attached to the hull activates with a huge explosion lighting up the night sky. Everyone is shocked and react with horror and shock, except for Desmond, who smirks at the sight. Nobody notices this, however. Namor ditches his clothes and flies off into action. The crowd immediately recognize him, and they begin to suspect him as being culpable in this act. Tony exits to change into Iron Man, as Reed and Sue shed their clothes to go into action. Namor flies over the tanker and sees the damage and the hole in the hull. It doesn't appear to be a complete rupture yet, but as he examines from underneath, the oil tanker does rupture, and he's engulfed in a sea of crude oil. It clogs his gills, and he begins to drown. And that's Namor Episode 4. Very good, Kurt. Very good. This, um... We're kind of finally getting into some superhero action. We've done a lot of kind of setup in the first three issues, and this tanker was kind of hinted at last issue. Uh, so now we finally get its reveal, and it's something that apparently that the company Namor bought and renamed Oracle was working on. So this was all in the works before he became... Uh, the owner. So he, you know, and he says that they've been working on this for like a year. The party itself was planned a year before uh, he he took over. So he really couldn't cancel without raising suspicion. Um, but the, the first half of this is a lot of setup. I, I do, uh, I want to bring up that this is, now according to, the the uh, the internet, which we know is never wrong. Uh, right. This is uh, Bob Wycheck is still inking, but I had read that in this issue, Burns started inking himself, and that's why he's using so much of this dual shade that yeah, the, we have very talked about. Quality yeah. the artwork in this. Yeah, um, it's a. Uh, we talked about this when we covered our OMAC because he did. Yeah, that's the only one I think that he's really used a lot of dual shade on. But it's very effective in these underwater scenes because unlike Zipatone, you can give a much more softer, more organic look because you kind of paint the shading on and use a special chemical that makes the 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 pattern that's on the special paper appear. 
So instead of having to cut plastic and placing it over your finished art, you can just ink it and then do all your shading as you want to, uh, probably with a with a brush, I guess. But it really is effective in these underwater scenes because you get this kind of shadowy, uh, it's almost like a tiger stripe type look to yeah. all of the objects underwater. Um, that splash page is really beautiful where you get the little high-tech submersible going up this massive looking tanker. Looks like a submarine in the double page splash, pages two and three. Mm-hmm. Unless I'm misreading this, it. Uh, Tell me the tanker or the uh, little the little sub. I'm saying the tanker looks like a huge submarine because it's got a conning tower and dive planes. Yeah. And my impression was that this was supposed to be above the water, but be no, that I, as a, it's a gorgeous uh, spread. In the, it the is. The duo shade is is spectacularly used. It is also used. Um, about four or five more pages when Namor is in his bath or in his pool, the light reflecting off the top of the pool, splashing off the ceiling and the walls in this uh, underlit pool, it's the same effect. And it's not quite disconcerting, but it's very effective. It softens. It's almost, it's almost used to more effect here in this because that first panel where Namoretta comes in and you see him in the, the pool and it's dark and you do see the reflection of all the, the water reflecting off the, the walls. That's, that's really beautiful. And a lot of the, I think all the shading on the characters is done with a shade. So it's not a heavy, it's not a heavy um, inked line. So if you saw this, Without the duo shade, I think it would look like simple line drawings with a lot of shading. But he's accomplished yeah. that with all of them. Um, the underwater stuff is really gorgeous. I really like with the, the, the you point out where she is. He has submerged himself because um, he's kind of there. What they had is he's being the Roxon Corporation is calling for him to be arrested because he did. He did attack him and left the griffin there in the last issue. Uh, and he's like, oh, he's not really worried about it. He's still trying to keep, uh, he's still trying to keep, let the world think he's dead. So he thinks if he just keeps a low profile, the the general um, general population will population will just forget about him. Still yeah. alive. Yeah, they'll forget that's about him. Yeah. Um. Because that's what Namoretta is worried about. She's, you know, you're going to, you kind of revealed yourself and you're going to bring in uh, other superheroes. He didn't seem concerned about it, but. That's his arrogance. Yeah. Well, he thinks that he's, you know, he said Cap won't make a move unless he feels there's enough information to, um, to, to approach Namor. But I think this brings up the, because they, they mentioned this in the other three issues that there's already a, I guess there are uh, warrants out for him or he's wanted, you know, is he, does he, can he be arrested? He's not an American citizen unless his father gives him some type of American citizenship. And if, and I don't know if they've ever revealed in Marvel, if Atlanta 
uh, Atlantis is recognized as its own country, he would have the same diplomatic community that Doom always hides behind. They couldn't have touched him. So that's a good point. I don't yeah. know if they ever really addressed that. But yeah, yeah, he'd have dual citizenship, but he is uh, still very much a wanted, not an outlaw, because the Avengers had accepted him into their ranks. Was that prior to this or after this series? I don't recall. I don't remember. Um, but that was under Roger Stern. But yeah. that's, that's in the cards as well. Yeah. Well, he's got some... Uh, and I found because I had done, I didn't uh, don't remember reading it when I was, uh, but at the same time uh, Burns doing Namor, he's also writing Iron Man with John Romita doing the artwork, and apparently uh, a few months from now, uh, Desmond Mars is going to cross over into that book and try some kind of go up against Stark. So when that happens, that would probably be closer to Namor issues, maybe six, seven, eight. Uh, maybe we could kind of do a brief coverage of those issues. I think it's Iron Man 264 through 266. And because Burn is doing the writing there. And just That'd we can just address those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look and dig those up. Two, I six, have, through 266. Iron 264 Man? through 266. Yeah. Because apparently the stuff that goes on in that with Mars and Stark comes back in Namor. So they kind of tie in. Which may explain why, uh, not to spoil things, but in the next issue we have a lot of Iron Man in it and not any other Avengers. Yes, that would make sense. I yeah. noticed that. They mention, uh, passing mention of Captain America in this, but he mm -hmm. does not appear. Um and Iron Man doesn't really take any action until next issue. Right. Uh, on this two-page spread where Namor's in the bath or in the pool, a um, couple things that I wanted to point out briefly. In the next to the last panel, the last panel being where the, the camera pulls back and reveals the drone that is uh, spying on Namor through the window, the panel mm -hmm. just before that, Namor has suddenly decided to rise up out of the water. Like a Polaris missile, he's shooting straight up out of his pool. That artwork is used in the trade paperback as a separator. It's blown up and oh. simplified, and it's used as a, a, a spacer in between the issues. Byrne has to do this, or the production company has to do this, so that the two-page spreads, pages two and three, every issue fall with the left and the right. Otherwise, they're going to be split up between... Right. To, um, a page and you'll have half of it on one page and then you have to turn the page to see the second yeah. half. So the trade collection of this at least has some additional artwork and that's the image that they've chosen. Sometimes it's obvious what it is and other times you really got to have to hunt, sort of like a Where's Waldo. Yeah. Uh, this one had eluded me. The other thing I wanted to point out was when Namor drops below the water, Nina literally leans over the edge of the pool and sticks her head into the water, and they just continue their conversation, speaking, um, you know, almost like, you can't hide from me, you know, right. to talk this out. 
There have been various interpretations of whether the Atlanteans actually talk or whether they have a form of telepathy. And in this case, they just indicate that they're talking casually between themselves. Others have drawn it as thought bubbles. I think it's a comic book, and you just have to accept the trope. You know, they're Atlanteans. They live underwater. They can speak underwater and not not waste too much thought on it. But it's yeah. interesting to see uh, this is, is nice... Nice blocking, nice layout by Byrne, <clears throat> just as to, to underscore a subtle relationship between the two characters, between Namor and his cousin. Well, it's, uh, and I think this is the first issue that uh, Glennis Oliver, or Glennis Oliver Wayne, uh, is doing the coloring. I don't know if she did the previous ones. And the coloring looks a little muted. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with the duo shade. So that, especially under the these under the water scenes, that you don't have quite the vibe vibrant. But you do when you switch to the Mars twins. Of course, he's always drawn them, and there's, you know, they're in stark white and red, so that the uh, they kind of stand out, and you get you get more of this kind of. Uh, I don't know if those yellow lines are supposed to be window blind, so you're getting kind of a noir look to it but you get more of uh, Desmond Mars being basically despicable and mistreating his sister and I like how you point out that that carrot that then that translates into her being despicable to her assistant or worker whoever this is and fires her because she couldn't do what she wanted to do and you've got that that you point out that smug face that's just her face in one panel below knowing that that you know she's just it's like everything rolls downhill desmond smacks her and then she's just going around and she's basically smacking somebody else she's kicking the cat yeah. i get no impression that this underling uh margaret has done anything wrong i think this is just a a fit yeah. uh, that, that Phoebe is having, uh, that she's taking it out on somebody else, which is an underlying ca uh, character trait. It kind of points out to me that both of these Mars twins are a little unstable or have a cruel streak. Uh, and I'm not real certain where this is going to go yet, but I recall some of this, how this plays out. Well, hers, Phoebe seems to be a result of her her brother seems to be uh, unredeemable. He just seems to be uh, he's a he, yeah he's a little over the top. He's a little silly, but he seems to be uh, the cause of the she is kind of reacting to the way she's being treated. Um, that's not necessarily excusing what she does, but uh, and on page oh, mine are page numbered, but. Where she storms out, and because he tells her, I, I've got to get ready. So, you know, go basically go wait somewhere. And she guess he goes into her office, and Byrne does a nice job in three panels to show the passage of time. Because you see the shadows lengthening as she's just sitting yeah. there in her, her, uh, because first her chair's empty, and then she's sitting in it. It looks like she's got her, her head in her hands. And then Margaret finally comes in, and I guess she's just sitting there fuming. And Margaret right. comes in, and then that's when she just uh, lets you know unleashes on her. 
and fires her and tells her to get out of here and threatens that if she she doesn't get out, don't snivel. Just if you don't get out right now, I'll see you never work again anywhere. So, the, uh, that, it's also a possibility that it just occurred to me that she's very concerned in the the interchange with Desmond. But what if they trace it back to us? What if they find out that we were involved with the grip and with the with all of it? You know, this could blow up in our face. This could also be a thoughtful move on her part to try to erase part of that that trail, get rid of the minions so there's nobody to testify against us. That's possible. Yeah, she does. She cautions uh, Desmond throughout that he's kind of playing with fire and he's just brushes her off. It's like, no, no, I've got it. I've got everything to control. I know what I'm doing. Uh, don't worry about it. As he he's constantly smoking. He's constantly has a cigarette in his hand which I think kind of leads to his kind of 90s villainy. Um, he's always smoking and blowing smoke rings, showing his arrogance. Um, what did you th- you, uh, you were talking about the disguise when, when Namor Neymar is, uh, and she kind of blow dries his hair and puts a fake beard on him and some glasses. Yeah. He says he looks a little bit like his father, Captain McKenzie. I thought this was a nice homage to FF number four where Johnny Storm finds him and he's in a flop house and he's got a beard and he burns yeah, the beard much, off of him. And, much more unkempt though. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's a homeless but I, man. Yeah. But I thought, and it's also a little nod to, I think Superman because he's using, cause she says, Oh, glasses will help hide your eyebrows, which is what she does. She wears glasses to hide her eyebrows and just wears her hair down to cover her pointed ears. It's a good uh, point. I had thought about eyebrows. I like that touch. Um, that, but I think you're Roger Stern. I think it is supposed to invoke Stern, possibly, and his father, uh, uh, Captain I'm McKenzie. Captain his McKenzie. father only entered Submariner. It's about forty-five or so, where he he's he does a search for him, discovers that he's alive, somewhat uh, in a flop house, you know, a homeless man type situation. He's just—it's either Namor finds him and/or um, Tiger Shark and who else? Anyways, a couple of villains find him first, and ultimately they kill him. Uh, his father's only around as a minor pawn for like two or three issues. I had forgotten that Namor actually saw his father in his later years, but I—I I was about to question whether he ever knew what he looked like. But well, did. There are records some places. There's, you know, he can, there's got to be photos of him somewhere. Yeah, he could, yeah, dig that up. Well, was it, was it ever revealed that his father knew that he had a son, that he, he conceived his son with the Atlantean? Uh, I think no, his heart, his heart was broken. Uh, he, he was basically a shattered man ever since that encounter with Princess Sven. Um, I think, I, it's, I haven't done the research, and I only read it once back in the 70s as it came out. Um, so I, I can't answer you with any definity here. Yeah. Do you think... I, I, want, to... I want to back up a page for something, uh, for a comment on Phoebe's dress. I said she's dressed to the nines. She is. She's got a striking white uh, party gown with a red shawl or sheet. Or stole. I'm not sure the how. Stole. I'd call that a stole. 
wrapped around her uh, shoulders, and she has at least the same shade of red gloves as well. And it's consistent from page, or from page to page, panel to panel, until you get to the last panel where she's firing her subordinate. In the first, in all the other images, she's got, her bust is covered by this uh, dress, strapless dress, I should emphasize. You get to the very end, and there's a reverse shot of her with the red stole draped around her arms, and it's dropped off her shoulders, so it's around her waist, and her bare, her back is bare. My point is, although you can see her necklace front and back, there's nothing supporting that dress, nothing supporting her gown. I think it's, it's like a, it probably is supposed to be, um, I don't know what the, the term for it is, like a, like a uh, backless dress, but I think it's yeah. like a, it's almost like a bustier or something. So it covers her front and somehow that's tight enough to yeah. keep it up. And it looks almost like, cause it's got almost kind of squared off points, like whatever, yes. maybe there's some boning in there or some kind of wires. Something, something wires or something. Keep it, keep it kind of taut and uh, up. But anyways, it's a small point. I just wanted to bring it up as we went. Well, Burns always done has been very conscious of doing very uh, contemporary clothing when he's doing. He's yeah. not drawing kind of generic. So with Power her down, yeah, name Retta's gown. She's got like a little, a real short little uh, kind of a party dress, like a black kind of a miniskirt type thing. Even Namor says, isn't that too short? She's like, well, you know, I've got great legs and... Surface men like to look at great legs, so <laughs> she's gonna not gonna hide them. Yeah, she's um, a little flirt. Yeah, uh, and then she gets, and she does. She's, and we forget that she's kind, you know, that she is. I don't know how old she is, Atlantean wise, but she they kind of act like she's about 18, 16, 17, 18, because she just wants to party, and then she complains about how boring it is because everybody just wants to talk about money. And we see Stark. And uh, Mars twins show up late, and he doesn't know who they are. And they are there looking for Namor. They don't know um, he's in disguise. But that's when Desmond basically tells Phoebe, go and find him. And then I want you to kind of seduce him. Um, and uh, there's a... The, the panel where they are flying down to, they kind of fly down to a rooftop to put their shoes on and finish their disguise. Bottom panel right, where Namor kind of, Namoretta kind of jumps up and says, let's party. There's a couple in the foreground. He's got a black tuxedo on. She's got a green yeah. dress on. Yeah. They are drawn like they are somebody. I can't tell who they look like, but the way he's drawn them, like maybe those are actual people or somebody he knows. Or maybe That's it's supposed possible. to be somebody famous. I can't tell. It might be uh, the other production members, you know, Gwyneth Oliver and, and uh, Harry Cavanaugh. I don't know. Yep. I don't recognize them as anybody particularly notable, but yep. they are in the forefront as Namor, Namorita is in the back shouting, let's party! party. Yep. And then immediately it cuts to her being bored in the next page, the upper panel. It's like, that didn't last long. Yep. Well, they're just all, she said, they, and I think that is a kind of a, a, a little comment on 
Because all these rich humans want to talk about is money, 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 money. Um, and that's a little more because we've said this book has kind of a uh, ecological message to it with Namor trying to uh, use this stolen, not stolen, but this found treasure to kind of help uh, clean up the ocean. And, and, he, and he talks about that with her about not, he's not going to use this tanker. He says he couldn't cancel it without raising suspicions. But after the, uh, after this showing this party, he's going to dry dock the tanker and I guess not use it. So, which I thought was a little confusing because this tanker is supposed to be more high tech. So it's safer. It's quicker. It doesn't get affected by weather. It's, you know, it goes on because it is a submersible. It goes under the, under the water. But I guess he's trying to not use it because I don't know if his goal is to stop the production of oil. Or I would think that if you're going to use oil anyway, why not use a more safer, the best method to transport it from place to place? I agree. Yep. And then... There is uh, a comment by uh, Phoebe at the bottom right uh, at the party when they're introduced fashionably late. She says, that's easy for you to say, Desmond. You haven't been sitting around in this dress. I'm beginning to feel mummified. Yep. There's another comment to the, the dress. And on the next page where he sends her out and around, um, there's a, a full frontal shot of her and man that is a strapless guy mm -hmm. yeah and i'm sure it's not comfortable at all especially if it has some it's kind gotta of gotta be something firm that's, yeah, that's, that's holding that up uh and, and she's we as she circles around reading her nonverbals. she is frustrated that one she can't find namor and two she's tired of this game yeah she doesn't really want to do uh, she doesn't want to be involved in what Desmond's doing, but he kind of has this kind of control over her that he reluctantly goes along, and he is, and he is of course watching his. He's looking at his watch, so he's. Uh, we know we've hinted that that he has something to do with this bomb that we saw planted in the splash page. So then Namoretta, of course, um, kind of uh, flirts with him because uh, he's like the up and coming, you know, they, they, you know, they're the, they're the, the rich and powerful um, siblings. Um, and then we get a, then we get the final reveal of the, the submersible. And that's when we see that Sue and Storm Richards are there and Namor kind of, uh, Realizes she doesn't recognize him, but he still um, he still has feelings for her, and and then of course the thing blows up real good. And Very I do love that. We're reading Sue are spotted by Namor. The very same thing that you're talking about. Who are these well-defined faces that are all gathered and looking? And as I look across them. Nobody jumps out, but I think there's a few here that they are so finely drawn. They've got to be somebody, like the guy with the goatee, 
uh, sort of looks like Abe Lincoln. I'm wondering if that's Jim Shooter. Um, again, we have a brunette standing next to him that I think she's somebody. I think these are, are drawn from people. They're all nondescript background players that have no major role in this, but it's interesting to try to spot in the crowds, uh, you know, either celebrities or figures that, that we're supposed to uh, know or that some people... Right, but you, you can tell when Byrne has drawn a character to look like uh, some real person and not just a generic background. And I agree. All these faces look like they're could be people at Marvel. They could be friends of his. They could be relatives of his. You know, why not? You know, if you have a, a friend, why not put him in a comic? You know? Um, and he's... Uh, let me get... The, and after it blows up, I do like that panel at the bottom where everybody is shocked, except you can tell Desmond has just got this little sly smile because he knows what's going on and everybody else. And, and uh, again, the use of the duo shade because everybody's lit up in kind of a, uh, a faint yellow to, I guess, represent this fireball that has gone up. Um, and then by issue four, Namor has just given up any present <laughs> pretense of trying to hide his identity as he just strips down and jumps in the water, as he should, because he's trying to, he has to check on this boat, and everybody else goes into action. You see Tony Stark taking his tie off, Reed and Sue, or who I assume wear their costumes every time they're anywhere. Um, yeah, he's Reed coming out of his, his tux, yeah. and the invisible woman turns her dress invisible, revealing her her costume underneath. Boy, she's got to have fine control over her powers so that she only turns some of it invisible than others. Well, I think in when Byrne was on FF, there was a, a panel where she mentioned that she had been keeping her uniform invisible under her street clothes. And she's been doing that for a couple weeks or so, and that was giving her better control over it. I think it's when they had moved out and were living... Uh, not in New York in Sticks they were living uh, and Agatha Harkness was is that right? was their babysitter yeah and they kind of disguised themselves as kind of a a standard couple and were living out in the suburb somewhere I think that's when she was um, she was doing that so it's I always wondered about that plot thread in the FF I thought that was going to lead somewhere or be more of a status quo for a while but it didn't seem to pay off other than that Reed was disguising his face to be some other notable comic, golden age comic figure. Uh, I just thought that went nowhere. I was so surprised, but that's another I, issue. Yeah, I think that to your point, I think once it, um, is it Franklin gets, Franklin gets kidnapped? I can't that's recall, when, but it gets into the, witchcraft. Right, and then it after that it's like, it's gone. They're back at the Baxter building. You know, I think it was that threat of them trying to, um, you know, live more of a normal life and not have to be at the Baxter building all the time. Then we've got a nice couple pages of Namor investigating the, uh, the tanker and it hasn't erupted yet. And then it does. And we get burned does a good job of really drawing. This is gooey black oil. 
that just spills out all over him and kind of engulfs him to the point where he's uh he's he's i guess he is drowning because it's clogging his gills uh and it looks like and this is this is a question i had for you in that lower right panel where he says surrounding me disorienting me clogging my gills it looks like he's got his hands up to his neck or his ears or something yes yeah is he would you assume he actually has gills somewhere behind i thought it'd be more like his gills were in his lungs you know he just uh he didn't have traditional gills like a fish he had uh his lungs had some type of a a membrane or something that were both lungs and they could also filter uh filter the water through them much like if you ever watched patrick duffy as man from atlantis 70s show never seen it it's actually not bad uh he had a he had a, a, a dual lung structure or something. He didn't have gills, so to speak, but he had, he would just breathe in water and his lungs could either uh, process oxygen or they could process the water and he could get it that way. But um, this looks more like if you've seen Waterworld and uh, in that, the uh, Kevin Costner character has gills behind his ears. So I guess he, breathes in either that way or breathes in his mouth and it goes out those i don't know but occasionally they in the past maybe burn who has shown an x-ray of namer's skull and has d- displayed the gills on the x-rays it's it's whatever the plot whatever the current uh, book runner um needs that's basically how they play this with if he's got to have gills that are visible then they draw them in Otherwise, they don't, you know, it's it's a comic book. You have to... Right. You have to kind of go with Howard. Yeah. I will and say Burton just... has done a tremendous job with the globules of oil mm-hmm. and all the bubbles. Um, terrific job of representing how oh, encompassing and encapsulating they are. So, although it caught me off guard when I first read this, I wasn't prepared for the cliffhanger. Um, it, I had forgotten how, how very effective that is until you get the final splash page, um, the, the, uh, the cliffhanger, which shows him sinking uh, with all these globules of oil that are surrounding him. And the rest of the page is totally black. So it's... Yeah. He's just doing white highlights to represent the... Uh, the light. The, yeah. The, and to your point, it's, it is globules because it is underwater. Um, and then... You know, we get you know till next next time. So yeah, it's a good cliffhanger. It um, so I thought this issue was a lot of it was half set up, and then the later half we get a little more action and intrigue leading into the next issue, which we're going to get to in a second, which is much more action than this one. So the cover of issue four is basically black, which shows Namor. Um, Standing or kneeling in in a foul pool of water, covered with tar or oil, screaming, raging, and it's simply titled Black Death. Uh, It's very effective in terms of grabbing your attention. The next issue, five, uh, shows the silhouette of him over top of the New York City skyline with the, uh, the harbor on fire. So he's silhouetted against the orange and red flames and reflected clouds. 
and a couple of disembodied heads of Reed, Sue, and Iron Man floating on the right. But it's a much more colorful uh, yeah. cover, um, and it's sort of an action shot. But I like it when when uh, comics make a distinct effort to make each successive issue different from the one before. I get annoyed when they do sequential covers that are basically just another pose of the main character just from a little different angle or the hero and the villain in a little different pose. Um, the, the best one that I can think of or the worst one I can think of is about the time that um, uh, Spider-Man, I think it was about issue 300 where McFarlane, I think, joined the team and there were two successive covers that were virtually the same thing of Spidey and the villain. I want to say the villain's name was Chase, but I'm not sure of that. At any rate, they, they, you know, it's really hard to keep it straight. Which issue did you buy mm-hmm. when they're virtually interchangeable on the rack? So that, I'll get off my soapbox now. Well, no, I, I think, I think yeah, I think four is a, it's a good, it's, it, it's, I think it's a little messy, but I think it's meant to be because he's covered in oil, but it is a very minimalist cover. Um, and I like the fact that he has changed the logo. You can see the logo where it says name of the Submariner. He's moved Submariner over to leave space for Mariner's, the Namor's fist that he's raging against. He's got it raised to the sky. So he's kind of, instead of having to just overlap it, he's actually moved the sub, the subtitle over. You're right. I hadn't caught that. That's kind of cool. All right, ready for five? Yes, sir. I have a synopsis here. Now, this one, um, I was running out of time, so I went a little bit faster with this. If I skip something significant, please jump in and add it, Tim. Namer number five, All the Rivers Burning. However, the title on the cover says The Fire Down Below. It's from August of 1990 for a buck cover price, written and drawn by John Byrne, lettered by Ken Lopez, colored by Glynis Oliver, edited by Terry Cavanaugh, Tom DeFalco, editor-in-chief. And there's an additional credit that says Submariner created by Bill Everett. Again, I'm getting these credits from the splash pages uh, on each individual issue. So uh, nice of Byrne to give a tip of the hat to Bill Everett since he created him. All right. And we jump into the action. Where first page is a bit of a recap of the prior issue, a very quick summary. And having just watched the 1966 Batman TV series where they do freeze frames and the narrator talks about what has happened, that's sort of the effect that this first page has. A huge submarine super tanker. Saboteur is playing a bomb. Namor and... Uh, and Nina being in disguise, uh, dignitaries, Iron Man, Reed and Sue in attendance. The bomb explodes and Namor is drowning in oil. But wait, the worst is yet to come. Very much feels like that Batman summary. Okay, so Nina flies out over the harbor calling for Namor in a one-page spread, splash page. She can't find him and is preparing to dive into the water when she encounters Iron Man. He tells her to back off. Iron Man drops into the oil and uses sonar to locate the limp body of Namor. He pulls him from the water and finds Reed Richards has used his body to create a raft or a float that Sue is standing upon 
as a platform. Nina is hovering nearby. Unseen on a nearby rooftop, three shadowy figures observe the heroes. They quarrel and fight amongst themselves as the brunette establishes that she's the alpha of the group of these three echo terrorists, and she will not brook any disruption from underneath. She's a tough cookie. Cut to Four Freedoms Plaza, where Sue is now running a med scanner over Namor and discussing his condition with Nina. As they turn to walk away, Namor revives and sits up. They watch the oil spill on a monitor that's being contained in a boom. The police chief video calls the FF and plays a terrorist threat that features the brunette on cam. They have one hour to meet the terrorist demands, but there's only six minutes left at the time that the FF and Namor are informed. Cut to Mars Tower, where the twins gloat. Cut back to Namor as he flies out to where Reed is acting as the boom system containing the oil, and Iron Man flies to intercept a drone that is dropped from a small plane that's passing overhead. Namor smells a rat and instead dives below, finding the brunette in a scuba outfit dragging a device toward the tanker. He confronts her, and they argue. Namor knows that he's checkmated, but he still lunges for the device. It has a dead man switch, which she throws, and it explodes, apparently obliterating her and igniting the oil above. Reed escapes, but the oil is aflame. Namor erupts from the oil, more enraged than injured. Reed tells Sue to cover the oil with a giant force field, and Iron Man tries to herd the oil into the dome. All seems lost until Namor arrives on the scene again, or rather, his cavalry arrives, the thermorays, an unknown species that live around the thermal vets in the deep ocean. They are the cavalry that swoop into the flaming oil and begin to absorb the heat, smothering the flames. Reed is amazed and charges forward, consumed with the need to capture and study one of these unknown specimens. But Namor stops him, saying they must be unmolested, as he promised them in exchange for their service. Finally, the crisis has passed, and everyone is gathered on a pier comparing notes. An official walks up, and Speedball, who we haven't seen prior to this, thinks that it's a commendation for saving the harbor and the city. It's not. It's a warrant for the arrest of Namor McKenzie. Good job. And that's a five. Yeah, and it's a. Uh, this is a lot of, a uh, lot of action. Um, it's got some messaging to it, but it's um. It's a. It's a good job of. Uh, kind of bringing it into more. Let's say superhero fare, you know, because we've got you know, Iron Man. We've got Fantastic. We get the FF. Uh, although, where's Johnny? Because he could easily probably absorb that heat the same way the thermal rays did. But this is Namor's book, so I guess he needs to he needs to uh be the be the hero here. But uh and I do like the way he's uh, you know uh Burn has been conscious or he's consciously makes Iron Man he uh he can't use his jet boots when he's under the in the water with the oil because he knows he will ignite it. So he's using some kind of a, and it looks like some type of a computer generated, possibly uh, 
sonar that when Byrne did the artwork, I don't know, they're concentric circles, uh, but they don't look like they've been drawn. They look too precise. Yeah. Uh, he locates Namor and then um, brings him back and gives him to Sue, who uh, I don't know how she gets him. I guess Namor or maybe flies them both home. Um, and then we get the uh, these echo terrorists. And as we discussed in this last issue, this um, brunette, whose name is Gloria, has got to be modeled after somebody. Sorry? This this uh, this eco-terrorist Gloria, the head of this yes. old... She's got to be modeled after somebody. Because she looks like... To me, she looks a little like Stockard Channing crossed with Sigourney Weaver. But that's got to be a person that he's trying to... Because she's too well-defined to be just a generic female i don't she doesn't i don't know who she's supposed to be but he's that's got to be somebody he's uh he's trying to uh emulate on that because the other guys are just generic um henchmen um, one of the henchmen's name is simmons the black man who she she sl slugs a um an elbow into his yeah. solar plexus and the other one whose hair is a little reddish is known as riley between Riley's name and this lady, uh, Gloria Morgan's um, final image at the bottom of the page, I have the slightest hint that they're Irish. I can't, <laughs> I can't say anything further, but I just I kind of get the impression that they're eco-terrorists, but they're professional terrorists, or at least she is. Well, and, and they're... As far and they're, as I can see that, I don't... Right, and later when... I mean, this... This page is basically to show that she's in charge and she's more of the dedicated fanatic because yes. they're like, well, maybe we should, you hold know, off. hold off because the FF and these other heroes. And she's like, nope, she, you know, she elbows him in the gut and says, nope, I'm in charge. We're going to do exactly what uh, I say. And, and I, I didn't understand why she, I mean, I guess maybe this is how terrorists work, but she gives them. If you're gonna do this, why not just set the oil ablaze now? Why wait until uh, dawn and you know you release the tape, which where they take credit for it, and they you know they you know said dawn we're gonna we're gonna uh, ignite it because their idea is New York has polluted the two rivers or the area around it, so they are going to set that afire, burn up this, the island of Manhattan to uh, as payback for all of the uh, sea life they've killed in these two polluted. I guess that would be the Hudson and the, what's the other river? Is it just the Hudson and the East River? Maybe. I'm know. not familiar with New York City. Yeah, me either. Perhaps you should ask Paul. Uh, Paul, or, Paul or Scott, they could, they could tell us. Basically, they're kind of generic, you know, and you think that with their introduction, I think this is the last we see these people. They're called Force. Huh. Well, good for good reason. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, and she she basically immolates herself um, in setting off the bomb. And he Namer says that um, when he's confronting her, which goes back to I was talking about how they communicate. They are communicating with each other underwater and she her balloons look like it's a radio transmission. It's kind of got the jagged little tail end. His is not. So I don't know how 
if she's on some type of a radio or maybe she's on a loudspeaker, I don't know how they're communicating back and forth, but. Who? Oh, the, when she's underwater and she's oh, got the bomb. Oh, I got you. Okay. Yes. She's talking to, and he realizes that she's, you know, uh, she's crazy. He says yeah. her eyes, even the gloom, they flash with madness. And she says, you know, I know you're stronger than me, but I have, um, uh, I have, uh, I have the power of conviction on my side, so I will prevail. Because she's got a dead man switch on the bomb, so if he attacks her at all, um, it's gonna, it's gonna go off. Um, and I didn't realize in that the panel where they are conversing back and forth, and you see her holding the bomb. Yes. Metal panel right side. Yes. It's a, you see that uh, 55 gallon drum. Yeah, this is danger. I think that's just to show they've been dumping stuff um, in the river. I wondered I if that, that was a uh, loose thread that was going to come back later on. That uh, just as as um, <sighs> just as uh, Jean Grey, spoiler here, Jean Grey was in a cocoon mm-hmm. in the bottom of Jamaica Bay. I wondered if this was a similar sort of a um, starting of a, a subplot that was going to pay off later on, but I don't know that. It didn't. But yeah, this uh, 55-gallon drum has D-A-N that we can read, and obviously it's supposed to say danger. Um, but again, this this is the ecological theme flowing through these couple of issues. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're not beating your head over it, but... Uh, it's there. I yeah I didn't read this in detail because I kind of read a, ran out of time yesterday. But I finished the synopsis. I caught the fact that it was a dead man switch, but I hadn't quite processed that she had always intended to. Did she always intend to blow herself up, or was she simply ready with this if she got caught? I, I have mean, to think it, she, she intended to get away, but. As this plays out, she means to fire that device, and it sure goes off. You're right. I think when, you, when they first she see her, she says, I didn't expect you to recover so quickly. Keep back. There is nothing you can do to stop me. So, yeah, she probably was thinking she was going to get away. But as soon as she spotted him, she activated this dead man switch, knowing that that's the only way that... Um... And you can see in the page before... When he's first kind of diving down, he sees her. You see another barrel. It doesn't say danger, but it's just another empty barrel or something. And I think you yeah. see a couple other ones. Yeah. There. So he's really showing that they have been kind of uh, just dumping water. stuff, polluting the water. Yeah. And he talks about. Um, and he even talks about when he first gets in the water, he says, This New York River water burns my gills and scalds my lungs. But the effect, while instantly unpleasant, is never permanent. So he's, again, talking about how bad it is to breathe and swim in the, the waters around New York, which, you know, I've heard are not pleasant. Um, uh, did you think this scene when, after the bomb goes off and Reed is kind of recovering, and you see Namor flying out of the water, he looks a little bit like the torch. The way he's very drawn, much. yeah, very much like the yeah. human version. I thought flame. that was on purpose, yeah, because it looks like he's either covered in flames, um, but he's 
you know, he says, oh, they just, he's, it wasn't a scream of agony, that was rage. And that's when he goes off to get them. The, uh, the thermal rays, which I had a question on, he says, um, where does he say this? Um, he says, good, they see me, and like all CPs, they will obey me. Has it ever been established that he, like Aquaman, can communicate and control sea life? Yes. They don't play with it very often because it is so much like Aquaman. And at times they've they've dismissed it. But yes, he has the ability to communicate with undersea life. Okay. Um, it was present in the Tales to Astonish arc called The Quest. Um, I believe that it was also established in his first Silver Age appearance in FF number four, uh, where he communicates with Giganto, um, although he uses the horn of Neptune to... That's what I thought it was because of the horn. Yeah, that's what was doing that. There have been a couple of... They don't, they don't do it a lot, uh, but yes, on occasion when the plot demands it or requires it, he is able to in some fashion, communicate with fish, eels, porpoise, dolphins, maybe not the way that you and I would define communication, but clearly he's he's gotten through to these manta rays, these therma rays, yeah. and has promised them that they will be unmolested if they come help. I think that's a nice touch. I really like that because it establishes... Again, an underlying uh, concern for other species and that he's the protectorate of the oceans or the, the aquatic life. Well, that ties in with this whole ecological message that kind of runs through these um, his run on this book, which I think uh, I think Reed Richards is, is, is written a little... Um, um, his his desire to grab to capture one, you know, he's he's a little too zealous. He's like, I must try to capture one to study it, and that's when Namor gives him the speech. But no, he can't. I promised him, and uh, and then he's kind of re- Richards is written as his quest for knowledge is all consuming. He says, but Namor, you don't know understand. I must study them. They are a form of life heretofore unknown. And then he tells him, no, nope, you can't because they're you know they're gonna remain unmolested by mankind, you, you know, because somebody else, your research could lead to somebody exploiting them, which again, goes along with our message of, to your point where he's, he is the protector of the sea and we are trying to be more ecologically conscious. But I just thought Reed was written a little, I think he'd be a little more sensitive to it. No, there, there, at this time he's always been pursued by science. He's been not the mad scientist, but uh, driven as the experimenter, the explorer, uh, and to some degree, not thinking through the consequences of his actions. There's been a couple instances of that where Sue or others have had to ground him or point things out to him. This wasn't just in... um, not secret wars, well, civil war. It wasn't just in civil war where uh, he and Sue are on opposite sides of the issue. That was just an extreme interpretation of that. Yeah. But he's, you know, throughout the Fantastic Four, through the Kirby Lee run, he's occasionally locked himself in his lab 
and driven himself or ignored his other teammates in the pursuit of science. So this is not a, a new uh, aspect of his personality, but it's one that Byrne needs to, uh, for purposes of plot, exploit right now. So. Well, yeah, he has to, because otherwise you don't have the... Um... The resolution. The resol- the reason for Neymar to give his little speech. Um, and Reed backs down, you know. But, yeah, I- I'd agree. Reed, especially in early FF, he would, you could say he's probably an uh, uh, irres- irresponsible parent at some point with some of the dangers he's put um, his son in. But it's it's kind of like what Jeff Goldblum says, says, you know, you were, you were so... Uh, caught up and if you could do something you didn't think if you know that you could do something you weren't thinking if you should do something so right you know that kind of I thing. agree with that yeah um and then the and then we get speedball here and I can only guess he's there because I guess at this point Namoretta was still in the new warriors with him yeah so that's why he's there um as a kind of little cameo uh and yeah, then we get his speech bubbles have a double wall yeah. uh, on them. I don't understand that. Is he, does he speak in a funny language or a funny sounding voice? I've never seen that before. I think when he first came on, because Speedball was created by, I think it was like the last things that Ditko did for Marvel when they created yes. him. I think he, it was established that because of his... Um, whatever this kind of kinetic uh, field he has around him, I think it affects his voice. So maybe that's his way of nobody can recognize his voice. So it has some kind of a, uh, effect to it. I don't know what it is, but it's just to show okay. that his dialogue is a little, uh, it's kind of like uh, in the new Batman movies where Ben Affleck has like some kind of a voice modulator. So his yeah. voice doesn't sound like himself. Um, that way you don't have to talk with the gruff voice the way Christian Bale purposely had to <laughs> gravel his voice. But, and then we get Namor's arrested and this goes back to, can he be arrested? I mean, can you issue a warrant for someone who is, I guess you could issue a warrant for anybody. If he's not a citizen. I guess he can be detained. But, Well, I was caught off guard by this final page. I wasn't expecting this, although the seeds have been planted earlier. This caught me off guard. And this was quite a cliffhanger, and I couldn't wait for the next issue. It was like, oh, this is good. So, uh, you know. Well, it's it's kind of Byrne bringing in, he does this a lot. He's bringing in his um, kind of real-world, more grounded consequences to... uh, to characters that are obviously in a fantasy world, although they live in our world. Um, he does that a lot with trying to explain superpowers sometimes. And in here, it's like, yeah, probably because, you know, if you're reading a superhero book, it's you never see the. The the law side of it, you know, Spider-Man right. beats up some crooks, he leaves them for the cops and he goes on. You don't know what happens. Do they get arraigned? Are they let go because Spider-Man is not a, a duly uh, sanctioned um, officer of the law. You know, I think all those would get thrown out of court. <laughs> um, but but even Byrne himself says in the in the teaser for next issue, 
He says, uh, for those fascinated by the most minute workings of the law, so we're going to skip that part and pick up Nick's issue as we action heats up once again and least I be shunned by all. So he's going to kind of, it sounds like the next issue is going to skip ahead and all this courtroom stuff is going to be kind of done and probably a lot of dialogue. Well, it will pay off later on, but uh, that's down the road. As we get to the end of this issue, and I'm looking ahead to the next uh, issue, six, we have Namorita, or Nina, uh, in the middle of what I thought were globules of oil. I thought that she was now um, trapped in the oil much as Namor was. It's not the case, but visually, it's similar. Uh, and again, uh, not to get too far ahead, but they played with the, the masthead again about yep. breaking up the Submariner. They've repositioned it again to get Namor's They've stacked it. Head. Yeah, because he's got a floating head of Namor, kind of. It's yep. his book. Okay, so that's the end of issue five. We got it in just over an hour. That's not Any bad. No, this was... Uh, I'm enjoying this more and more. I've forgotten. I read this. I haven't read these since they came out in the 90s, in 90. Uh, and I've... Think I've read ahead, but I can't remember what's going on. I remember these two kind of putting a, I think we're, we kind of, this is the end of this kind of story with the tanker and the, this little action scene. And then it moves on. We, I know we still get more of the Mars twins and the headhunter who was introduced a couple of issues back. She comes back in as more of a major player. Uh, and then there's some, you know, there's some, Big reveals in the what he did the first twenty five issues. Um, we won't almost spoil anything, but he brings some characters back uh, that he was kind of felt strongly about. Um, and I'm having a lot of fun. This is this is I, these are better than I remember them being I, when I read them the first time. I enjoyed them, but I think I'm enjoying this more. Maybe it's just talking about them. Uh, and the artwork is great. And I did want to point out that I thought. That Iron Man in this issue is, and I don't know if it's just the way that his armor looks, but it looks like he is trying to kind of uh, emulate the way John Romita was drawing it in the Iron Man book that he was writing. He looks a little, Romita, Romita Jr. always drew Iron Man as a little bulkier, kind of big and chunky instead of more of a streamlined suit. And I think Byrne is kind of, to me, it looks like he's kind of copying that a little bit. So they kind of mirror each other. I think you're right. Yep. We'll, well get to that when we... Uh, we're doing these in dyads in pairs of two. The next story, um, although it continues, I'm not sure that it'll be wrapped up in, in just two issues. I think it may spill over into the three. But we next show, we'll be doing... We haven't discussed this, so I'm making the decision. Six and seven together. Yeah, six and seven. Nine together. And then we'll probably skip a couple of issues because we've already covered those in Third Degree Burn, the uh, Invaders crossover, and pick up. We'll have to discuss this if we want to pick up afterwards and where we want to go. But, uh, again, two-issue dyads seem to work real well in terms of the storyline. Yeah, you you get more out of it instead of – Covering it a little quicker instead of kind of going panel by panel, I think right. we we can still cover it and give it the justice it needs, um, and get these shows a little 
a little quicker so you're not having to, um, you know, a nice, I think an hour for two issues is, is just right to, uh, yep. to digest these. So uh, I, I don't have anything else, Kirk. So unless you've got anything else, I think we can wrap this up. Just want to encourage folks, give us some feedback. You can write to us at gotta get burned at gmail.com. You can find us on the Facebook page for Third Degree Burn. We don't have a separate breakout, but you can add comments there. Um, trying to think if I've overlooked any other ways that they can get to us. Um, but we're we're always appreciative of your feedback. I know that Nigel Spink is uh, is following along and has added a couple of comments about the uh, on the Facebook page about Namorita's origin or where uh, she joined the New Warriors, where they came from. Uh, tip mm -hmm. of the hat to him. Thank you very much for the research. That's uh, more than I would have asked for, and I certainly appreciate it. I can't think of anything else. No, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to lay this in because you just mentioned that about Nigel and Namoretta, and I thought about this while we were covering this, and I'm sure this is not new. It's just new to me. The, the similarities between Namoretta and Supergirl and that they are both from the same species, one, they're both cousins, and they're kind of the female version of the main character. Uh, and I don't know if that's on purpose or that's just was a common thing to bring in a female version of Namor the way they brought in a female version of Superman and have them related. Um, and one is usually a weaker version of the other one. So I don't Can't know if there's anything to that. I'm unfamiliar with her background. Um, and maybe Nigel's got it. Cole, we'll have to ask him if he's got info on that to share it. Yeah, I don't know. Well, uh, okay, I want to thank everybody for sticking around this long, listening to us. Kirk, it's always a pleasure to uh, talk Namor with you. Um, and until then, uh, Kirk and I will be in the deep end. Stronger than a whale, he can swim anywhere. He can breathe underwater and go flying through the air. And Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, -E -E and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. <laughs>